Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can go there, 1 Corinthians 16. And uh, we've come to the end of this series. We might still do one or two more weeks uh, on this specific topic. But in this series, we have covered everything from salvation to sex. And some of you are like, okay, now I'm definitely going to go and listen to the rest of these messages. You spoke on what? Um, So we've spoken about everything from salvation to sin to sex to prophecy and pride to temptation and tongues. I mean, it's been such a a jam-packed series, and there have been so many incredible things. And it's one of the things I love about the Bible. You know, as much as this is, is, is holy in the sense that, that it is, is the Word of God to us and we encounter God's Spirit and presence through it, that we can see Jesus in the Scriptures, as much as all of that is true, what's also true is that it's very real, that this is a very real book and that it doesn't avoid the difficult topics or the, or, or the, or the aspects of our everyday lives that are so important, Right? It's important, our relationships, our families, um, our, our, uh, how, we, how we interact with the world. We, there's a way that we can do it that glorifies Jesus, that's healthy, that builds up. And so we've absolutely loved how every one of these areas have, have spoken, or every one of these chapters have spoken into these areas of our lives. But it wouldn't be complete if we didn't at some point talk about money, right? Talk about money. This is what Paul comes to um, at, in the first part of 1 Corinthians 16. He says, now concerning the collection, and so I want to I share a message with you today entitled, When It Comes to Money, which is what Paul says uh, to the, ch- the church in Corinthia, and he starts it like this, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 to 2. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, the offering, the taking up of, of the offering, the money. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. I want to talk this morning about when it comes to money, experiencing the peace of God within your finances. How do we approach money? What is our relationship to it? How do we manage and steward the finances and the resources that God has put in our hands for a greater purpose? And uh, I believe this is going to bless you today. Let's just take a moment right now uh, just to pray together. Father, we just want to thank you right now that that even though we're speaking about aspects of our lives that are just so real world, they're just so, uh, you know, everyday things and and can often just seem like like unimportant topics, Lord. We thank you, God, that, that you have a way in every one of these areas to speak to our hearts to direct us, to shape us, and to ultimately lead us to a place of health and a place of peace as a result of your presence. So we just thank you, God, that today, as we talk about finances, we talk about money, Lord, that, that, you, can, that you can really impress the value of worship on our hearts, the value of worshiping with our lives, with our time, with our resources. We just thank you, God, that you're the one speaking to us today. We can humble ourselves at your word and hear your voice today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. So I, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, um, and, uh, and it was just a normal, I think, Tuesday night 
in our home. Um, I had three other siblings, and at this specific moment, we were kind of, you know, from just preteen and younger. I was the oldest, and my brother's seven years younger than me. And so any home that has four kids on it, you know it's usually loud, especially around that dinner time. There's a reason we call it happy hour. Um, it's happy for the kids, not so much for the parents, you know, and, and it's loud, and we're running around, and we're having dinner, and we're running, you know, in the house and, and, and just having a good time. And uh, I remember that this one specific night, there was a Kirby salesman um, who came to the door. Now, some of the millennials around here might not know what a Kirby is, all right? But if, you, if you're a little bit older than that, then you'll probably know that a Kirby is a vacuum cleaner, yes, but not just a vacuum cleaner, right? It's kind of like if a vacuum cleaner and a tank had a baby, it would be a Kirby, okay? That's what it would be called because you could pretty much, you know, drive down the highway with it. I mean, it had a light on it. You could like vacuum in the dark, um, you know, and it was unbreakable, these Kirbys, and, um, and they were quite expensive as well. And so back in the day, um, before all of our vacuum cleaners were plastic, um, these, these guys would come around and oftentimes you'd have a salesman come to your door trying to sell you a Kirby vacuum cleaner. And this one night, uh, our, our front door was actually standing open and uh, this guy had come to the front door and as I was running past our entrance hall, we kind of had a little, just a little entrance hall um, with, a, with a, a lounge off, off the one side and the kitchen's just around the, the side and, and, um, and I was running past the entrance hall on my way to the TV room as this man was taking a step into the house. He had knocked on the door and he was stepping in and I kind of ran past and then backed up a little bit to see who this was who was coming into the house. And I'll never forget that look on his face. Because I was the first one who saw him there. But he stepped in through the door as if he was stepping into another realm. You know, you kind of imagine Alice as she steps through that little door into the wonderland, right? And, um, and, she, and, and he wasn't even looking straight ahead. He was looking at the ceiling. I remember him looking up at the ceiling like this, stepping in this way, as if he's hearing music somewhere in the distance. And he's trying to figure out what realm he's entering into. And so, and, and I just this like amazed look on his face. And, and so I obviously took a step back. I saw the man coming in and I was like, you know, like every 10 year old, I was like, dad, there's a man, you know, like very, uh, you know, my professional welcoming skills. And, um, and, and my dad came around the corner and as he came around the corner, this man's face went from looking up at the ceiling to slowly down to meet my dad's face. And before he introduced himself, before he said anything about why he was there, before he even mentioned the vacuum cleaner, all he said was, there's such a peace in this house. That's what he was experiencing in that moment. He's like, I've never experienced anything like this. And to us, it's just a crazy Tuesday night. You know, I'm busy running to the TV room, you know, there's loud kids everywhere. But to him, he walked into an atmosphere that he had never experienced before. And my dad, without missing a beat, said to him, what you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit. Let's go and chat. And so he forgot all about his, you know, his sales pitch that he was going to do. My dad took him into the dining room, I'll never forget this, and closed the door. And I don't know, again, in the older homes, for those of you that may have lived in one of these homes, there was a door and then you had a little window above the door. Do you remember those? And you could, with like a rope, you could open it or close it. Why? Why did we need those windows? But I, I remember standing outside the door, listening to my dad, witnessing 
to this man about the gospel and what the peace of God looks like when it enters your life and how the Holy Spirit can change your life. And right there at that dining room table, that man gave his life to Jesus. And not only that, he came back several times to sit with my dad so that my dad can disciple them. And, you know, he, he came looking for commission, but he left with a great commission, right? He received something greater than what he came for. And that's just what it looks like when your life is on mission, when you have a, the, the presence of God in every area of your life, when, when you're no longer compartmentalizing my life for Jesus, my home life, my marriage, my family, my finances, my whatever else, my career, and then on this side, oh, and then on Sundays I'll go to church. No, when, and, and I remember sitting with a CEO and, and we were having a discussion around some things we needed to, to purchase for the church. And, and he said this to me, he said, you know, um, I, I am a Christian, but when I'm in these discussions, I need to take off my Christian cap and put on my business cap. And I thought to him, you're deceived. Do you have a different set of values for how you conduct your business compared to how you conduct your, 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 your Christian life? That is a Christianity that is worth nothing. If it doesn't inform how you conduct your business, if it doesn't inform how you live your life, if it doesn't inform and shape and direct how you conduct yourself in your marriage and your family and, and every part of your life, then it is worth nothing. Because it means it has no real impact in your actual life. It's something that you leave behind here on a Sunday. You come and visit God in His house as opposed to inviting Him into your house, into your life, into your family, into every part of your life. And, and, and that isn't really worth much if, if we approach it that way. It's kind of like when Moses went up into the mountain and, and he said to, uh, to, to, to God, unless your presence goes with us, we will not depart from this mountain. We cannot go without your presence. We need you in every area. This is what it looks like when you have the mission of God uh, in your life in every area. This week here at Anchor Church, you know, one of our values is that we always said that Anchor Church is not about Anchor Church. We're not trying to just make a name for ourselves or build some kind of an empire or whatever. We, we want to be generous hearted. And, and not just as a, as a church, but as a people. We want to be generous people. And we want to build the kingdom. We want to, we want to bless other churches as much as we can. We want to be part of planting churches and, and just expanding the kingdom. We want to be kingdom-minded. And we got the opportunity this past week to host um, pastors and leaders from several other churches in our city to come through to Anchor. And, you know, we had a great day. It was on Wednesday and we had a bunch of them here and we were able to serve them all lunch afterwards. And one of the pastors that was here that leads uh, one of the biggest churches in our city in the south of Joburg, he gave me a phone call. And he said to me, you know what, Adrian, I've been to, to churches all over the globe. I've been to the best buildings. He's like, your building is great. Uh, and I love what you guys have done there, but, but it's not the building. He's like, your sound is good, but I have heard sound systems that is literally the best that money can buy. And it's not the sound system. He said, there's a spirit there. There's a peace there. There's, there's, there's something about the people. We can see, and he was saying that, that he had grown up knowing how to discern the spirit. 
And he was saying that there is a spirit in that place that the people carry that is authentic and sincere. Again, it just, it was such an encouragement. It immediately made me think back to that Kirby salesman walking into our home. Why? Because we've invited Jesus and his presence into this space. He's welcome here. He's welcome in this place. The Holy Spirit is welcome here. Psalm 133 verse 1 to 3 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, that word there, Delphoi, means can mean both, dwell in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. When we dwell in unity, when we invite Jesus in, when we're focused on him so that we're of one heart and one mind, there is a blessing that God commands in that area. Now, you might be asking this, what does this have to do with money? (laughs) I thought we were going to talk about finances. The real question, though, today is not really about what it has to do with money, but what it has to do with your heart. What it has to do with your heart of of worship and trust in Jesus. Because that's really the source of why we battle with finances. Why we battle in this area to let go, to trust, to worship with our finances, because it's what's happening in our hearts. And so the question is, have we legitimately, and this is not a question that you have to answer me, because I know what the Christian answer would be. But I'm talking about authentically between you and God today, Have you invited Jesus into your finances? Have you invited him in your heart to say, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You know, in the Old Testament with the tithe, the 10% represented everything. That was the significance of it. It represented it all. So some people say, well, I have 10% and the other 90% or I'll give 10% to God. The other 90% belongs to me. That's not what it was saying. The 10% was simply a recognition that everything belongs to God. That he is the owner of all things, the creator of all things. And our worship of him through giving is simply an acknowledgement of that. And where there's faith, there is a blessing that God commands. Are we experiencing that kind of peace, the peace of God in our finances? Are we experiencing it? Because the only way we can experience it is if we invite Jesus into our homes. And we want to experience that peace in our finances. We, we want to experience it. We, I, I can tell you now, as, as somebody who, who planted a church from scratch, we had 1,000 rand in the bank account when we started. And I had no other means of income. Uh, there, was no, there was no backing. There was no international organization that funded us. We had none of that. I can tell you that financial, peace, uh, financial strife or financial stress will rob you of your peace. Anybody ever experienced that? So this is a super important area of our lives because it can so quickly consume our thoughts, our emotions, everything, because we haven't trusted God and invited Jesus in. And so we end up constantly striving to make a way for ourselves only to end up in an endless cycle of debt only to end up in an endless cycle of stress. I remember when, when we uh, made some commitments as a church 
and our giving in one year went down and we weren't able to cover our rent. We weren't able to cover our, our salaries. I think for that entire year, I woke up with a pit in my stomach. You know, when you're like, what, what, what's wrong again? You know, when you woke up, and you're like, something's wrong. I can't remember. Oh, yes, I remember now, you know. It's not fun. And I don't believe it's what God has for us, right? Now, obviously, we all go through moments like that. The economy is what it is. But there's something that we can do as we invite God in that, that helps us to trust in him in this area. Does God care about money, right? I know that this is a topic that for us, just to be real with you for a moment, we never really enjoyed speaking about in church because it's something that, that in our minds is such an earthly thing sometimes. You know, that's how we approached it, especially when we started Anchor. And when we started it, we didn't want anybody to think that any of this had to do anything with, with money because it really doesn't. And so we didn't even hand an offering box around. We didn't even ask people to give. As a result, for the first eight months, we couldn't pay anything or anyone. <laughs> we had no money. We would literally just be like, there's a box at the back you can give if you want. Eight months later, we realized we couldn't pioneer. We couldn't get a building. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't employ staff. We couldn't do outreaches. We couldn't help the poor because we had nothing. And then I went to the Bible and I realized Jesus actually spoke about this a lot. And I realized that it's one of the areas that I made a mistake in as a leader is that I didn't equip the people in our congregation the way Jesus did. I had cut a portion of the Bible out. And we spend almost every day we'll have at least one thought about finances. If we can't approach that in a godly way, if we can't speak about that in church, there is something genuinely unhealthy about our relationship with money. If anybody mentions the word money and you begin to become defensive, that's not healthy. That's, there's a, you know, it's like a, a dog with a bone that you want to go and uh, you actually want to replace it with a bigger bone, but he growls at you because you can't even come close. That defensiveness is, is telling for us. The moment a pastor mentions money, it's like, oh, I knew this was going to be about money. Defense is up, right? That's telling. It's telling. We should be excited at the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to be able to prosper, like God says, God, the, the Bible says that God will cause you to prosper in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. He wants you to prosper. He also wants you to be generous. There's a purpose to the, to, to the prospering. And that's something that should excite us. Jesus, you know, so you ask the question, does God care about money? Does it, does it even appear on his radar? Well, Jesus spoke about it often. And here is why. Why did Jesus speak about money as often as he did? Well, in Matthew 6, verse 24, he says this, one of the most important scriptures. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. How Telling is that, how important is that, that Jesus says he doesn't mention, you know, power. He doesn't mention influence. He doesn't mention, you know, I don't know, expensive holidays. He doesn't mention anything else. He says the one thing that's going to rival your relationship with God, that has the greatest potential to, to be the thing that you look to in life for your safety, 
for your security, for your significance, for your well-being, for your joy and your fulfillment. The one thing that can rival God in your life is money. It can become a God to you in this way. And that is so important for us to realize and to recognize. So when Jesus is speaking about money, it's not because he cares about your money. It's because he cares about your heart and what's happening in it. And how trusting in anything but God will lead you to a place of, of, of brokenness. Jesus had this way, and, I, and it's why I just love the way that Jesus spoke. I love it when Jesus speaks to me because it's, it's the same thing. He had this way of just cutting through all the philosophical mumbo-jumbo. You know, all the self-justification that we do, or the things that we say, you know, or, or, or the ways that we, you know, the, the, the lies that we fabricate and convince ourselves with in order to, to exclude God from these areas. You know, Jesus just comes straight out. And he's like, you know what the real issue is? The real issue is, is that you don't trust God. He, he's not, you know, he's not overly sensitive to what people say. Jesus comes out and he's like, hey, hey, everyone, you want to kind of convince yourself about why you shouldn't give and, and this is the tithe and that's the Old Testament, but this is the New Testament and this is the thing and, and, and let's get theologically technical here and let's get philosophically, philosophically intricate here about all of these. Can I just tell you what the problem is? You're serving God and you're not, or you're serving money and you're not serving God. That's the problem. You're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot do both. So can we just cut through all the nonsense and get real with what's happening in our hearts? That's what Jesus is saying. This is legitimately important. How's your heart this morning? How's your kingdom vision this morning? Do you have a heart to see people saved? Or just to buy strawberries at Woolworths? about a monthly budget. Why do they have to bring them from Spain? Do we not have strawberries here? Right? But we won't think twice about picking up a few of those boxes of strawberries, but then when it comes to giving towards a kingdom vision, we're all defensive. This is, this is hard-hitting stuff. Are you serving God or are you serving money? Do you know how you can tell? I always love the fact that it, it, it's so easy to tell. How do you worship when your bank account is full compared to when it's empty on a Sunday morning? The best way to tell, though, is can you give it away? Can you give it away? If you want to know if you're free from the love of something, give it away. And if you can do that generously and, and freely and openly, then you know, I've been liberated in this area. I trust God in this area. Look at this, Matthew 10, verse 21 to 22. It says, and Jesus, looking at him. So it's talking about this rich young ruler. He had many possessions. He comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, you know, I, I've, I've kept the laws. I've, I've, I've served God. I've done all these things from my youth. What else must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says this. It says, and looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. With all the things that he has, he still lacks one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, you know, when a, when a pastor mentions money in church, like I said, people are immediately like, oh, it's a money church. Oh, it's a prosperity church. Oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to manipulate me into giving. They want to separate me from my money, right? But can we just imagine for a minute here that Jesus was still alive on earth like he was back then in the Gospels. And we invited Jesus to come and speak as our guest speaker this morning. And Jesus gets up and he takes the microphone and he's sharing. And a really, really rich man comes in and stands here in front of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I've, I've gone to church every Sunday. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. What else must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. You just need to go and sell everything you have and just bring it to the church. That'll be great. And, and then you can follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. How many of us would be like, oh, where did they find this money preacher? Manipulation. I'm out. We would, we would just lump Jesus in with all the other pastors that we've lumped into that category, right? Jesus goes, oh, okay. Oh, if you want to do it, just go and sell everything and just bring it to the church. Thanks very much. You see, Jesus was addressing something there, and it's evident in this fact. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He wasn't trying to cause this man harm. He recognized that this man could never be free because his possessions possessed him. He was possessed by his possessions as opposed to possessing his possessions. And so Jesus, in a moment of love, says, I, I, I care about you so much. There's one thing you lack. You need to be free from the love of money so that you can follow me. And he says, you know what happens when you do that? If you gave all of your money away, you know what will happen? You'll store up treasure in heaven. Part of 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection, the preceding chapter, speaking about the fact that we can store up treasure in heaven, which is a, an eternal treasure where moth and rust cannot destroy. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be lost. It cannot be affected by the economy. So Jesus loved him and knew in that moment that this man's heart was captured and caught up by money and it rivaled his relationship with God. What Jesus was ultimately asking him was not to do a, a big show of giving, but to invite him into his finances through an all or nothing kind of trust so that he may, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, lay a hold of that which is truly life. He had all the money in the world, but he didn't lay a hold of that which is truly life. So money has the ability to become our God, and God wants to liberate us from that. The good news is that God has given us a way to lead our hearts. You know, sometimes we have the desire you know, like it says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Have you ever sat on a Sunday and felt like, you know what? I just feel like God told me to give 5,000 rand. But you know, 4,000 is also a lot. But you know, if I do three, then I can use the other two to help my family member. And, and, and that's also a good thing. But you know, I was also going to uh, give some money to the poor. So I think what I'll also do is I'll just, okay, let's do one and a half. You know, you, you begin to like, you had a word from God about what to do in faith. And you kind of just slowly worked it down to, you know, okay, I'll do 100 rand on Snapscan. You know, just like kind of the same as what I pay for a cappuccino every other day, you know. 
we, we kind of do that. We, we diminish it. But God says there's a way that you can actually lead your heart. And, he, and, and if you feel like giving is hard for you, if you feel like you're a little bit too attached to your money, and you know, can I be honest with you? If I think about all the, the vision that I've got, even for my own personal life, for my kids, I love to bless my kids. I want to do good things. Many times I, I battle with that as well. I go, oh, we could give this much. And then we go, oh, but if we did, we could, if we didn't, we could also do this, you know, and, and, and that's where I know that I need God to help me. God's given us a way to help ourselves by his grace. In Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Have an eternal kingdom vision for your finances. He says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Please note that Jesus does not say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. No, you actually have the the means to guide your heart through placing your treasure in a place that will allow your heart to connect with it. It's like putting a plug in a socket that causes the electricity to flow through. That's what God does for us. He gives us the ability to plug in and connect with what's really important by simply taking that step of obedience. If you're struggling to connect with the heart of God for his church, with the vision of God for his kingdom, one simple way that you can connect to it is to give towards it. Give sacrificially towards it and see how instantly your heart will take ownership. I've mentioned this uh, story before, but when we moved into a new area a few years ago, and it's a boomed off area, and, and obviously all the residents have to pay or are asked to contribute towards that boom. And it's not compulsory, obviously, they can't force anybody, but they ask everybody, all the residents, please, this is important, let's keep contributing towards it. And initially, I would just drive through the boom and I thought to myself, yeah, it's nice that it's there, thanks very much. But at a point, we had a conversation, I said, it's unfair of us to live here and to benefit from the security and not to contribute towards it. That's not the kind of heart God wants us to have. So we said, no, let's give, let's, let's uh, uh, pay towards all the security of the area. And so we started contributing monthly towards that. The moment we did, it went from being the boom to being our boom, right? I was sending suggestions. Hey guys, can we fix the gardens around the boom a little bit? Do you guys think the boom needs a bit of paint? You know, do you think we can get a light up there so that it's easier for the security guards at night? Like, it's my boom. Why? Because I've connected towards it because I've put my treasure there. It means I value something. It means it's important now to me. And so we have this way, if you're struggling to connect to God's heart for the church, for the lost, give towards it and see what, how he will connect your heart. The whole context of Matthew 6 is you knowing who God is. Jesus is saying, do you know how good God is? Do you know how much he cares about you? He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one who, who, who dressed every flower in, in the beauty with which it's adorned. He's the one that, that created all the beauty that you see around you. He owns everything. But you know what? More than anything else in creation, God cares about you. He values you. And so don't worry about what you're going to eat. 
don't worry. Do you not believe that God cares about you? Jesus is like, oh, you of little faith. Don't you think that God would provide for you? Don't you think God will take care of you? This is so challenging for us. Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Jesus says, Therefore, because of who God is, because of how much he loves you, because of how he provides even for the birds of the air that don't toil for their food, but God feeds them every day. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows, isn't that amazing? God knows what you need. But seek first. Set your eyes, your vision first on the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, these menial things will be added unto you. If we take care of God's church, if we take care of the vision of God, if we allow God to work through us and we put him first, he will take care of everything else. We can trust him. God is faithful. The basis of giving is trust and the basis of trust, trust is basically just faith. And there is a reward for faith. In one of the most telling records of Jesus in the Gospels, and the band can come up, I'm, a, I'm about to finish this morning. One of the most telling records of Jesus in the Gospels, and I want to I take you there for a moment. Jesus sits watching people giving into the offering, right? Watch this. In, in Mark 12, verse 41, it says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. So if you had a theological problem with offering boxes, Jesus didn't. He didn't have an issue. But now let's just go there for a moment, right? Because that's like, oh, I've read that scripture. Let's just go there for a moment, right? So let's, let's imagine for a moment now that I'm Jesus. And it's offering time. You know, the time that we check our Facebook status on, you know, or whatever. I'll quickly, quick scroll through Instagram. It's offering us quickly Instagram. If Jesus was here this morning, when the offering box goes around, he's sitting like this. Just imagine, he comes and sits directly opposite the offering box, Jesus. And he watches every individual as they give. This is challenging to me, I must tell you. Because we've so compartmentalized our finances from our relationship with God. But Jesus sits and he watched as each one gives. And you know what? He's not thinking to himself, oh, that guy's so greedy. He's not thinking to himself, oh, she, yeah, she's just stingy. You know what Jesus is thinking? To anybody who has not yet got the revelation of, of trusting in God through finances, Jesus is going, he doesn't trust me yet. She doesn't know how faithful I am. If only they had a revelation of what I could do in them if they would trust in me, if what I could do for them, if only they knew how much God loves. Just imagine for a minute, Jesus watching each one of us as we give, because he does, he's here. 
but he wants us to trust in him. That scripture goes on and it tells us in Mark 12 verse 42, it says, many rich people put large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples. So not only does Jesus watch, he like, calls the crowd. Hey guys, come and check at this. Come and look at this. And he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. And whenever I've read that scripture, there's been kind of like a niggle inside of me that wishes I was there. Because if I was one of the disciples, I would have been really tempted to jump up and to run to the offering box and to open it up and go, you know what? The church doesn't need your penny. Like, keep your penny. It's all you have. Save it for a rainy day. In fact, here's a little bit more. Take that, you know, go. Like, how many of us have that inclination? It's almost like unjust. Don't let the widow give everything she has. She's a widow. She has no husband. And in that society, it would have been difficult for her to provide for her own needs without a husband. Jesus doesn't stop her. He doesn't take the penny back out and give it to her. In fact, he marvels at his faith. He call at her faith. He calls his disciples over and he says, take a look at this. This poor widow has given everything she has. She's given more than everybody else. Look at the trust that she has. Look at the faith. She realized that even though she had no husband to provide, that God is her provider. How many of us right now, and I'm not asking you to do this, but how many of us right now could take every single cent we have in the bank right now and put it straight in the offering? Jesus wouldn't stop you. He would marvel at your faith. That's it. You're trusting me now. You're beginning to believe. You're beginning to understand. You're beginning to grasp the faithfulness of God. Jesus did this. How about you, Anchor Church? How's your heart this morning around finances? Does it have you or do you have it? In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul gives very little motivation for giving. You'll notice this. He just says, and that's why I, I needed to go into all of this because, because in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, he just says, hey, so um, also when it comes to money, on the first day, just put something aside when I come. I don't want to have to collect it all in one go. So, so just put it aside as you prosper. I'll get it when I get there. He offers zero motivation for giving. Zero. You know why? Because only years earlier, these were the people that went and sold everything they had and laid it at the apostles' feet. They knew who God was. They understood his provision. And so it's kind of like a non-issue for Paul. He's just speaking practically. He's just like, hey, and so yeah, there's a resurrection. There's eternity. There's God. He's real. There's... So just, hey, listen, just give. Thanks, guys. He doesn't need to motivate. And the fact that pastors and church leaders have felt the need to get up and at times, yes, be manipulative. They've crossed boundaries. 
The reason why they do that is because they feel the need to because people have lost the revelation of giving. The reason why we why we didn't say anything about money for the first eight months that we existed and have hardly spoken about it since is because we've been sensitive to that same lack of revelation. But God has a greater vision for every area of our lives. Do you want to experience God's peace? How about we make this or we we take this from being that one area that we, we trust God in every other area. Yes, God, come into my marriage, my, my career, my family, my parenting, or but my money, God. <laughs> you know. How about we, we stop letting this be the one area that we do not truly allow God into? And instead, we take steps to lead our own hearts and to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit giving cheerfully and joyfully as we trust in God as our provider. Can we do that, Anchor Church? We trust God to speak to us in that. Come on, this is so important. It's so important because you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and despise the other. We want to serve God in every area of our lives here at Anchor Church. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning?